I believe that being out in a natural environment is an incredible place to be refocused and reflective um, around your journey, but also around the impact and the, the, the marks that you're leaving on this planet. I think a nice analogy in nature is that in a pristine natural environment, even once you've left your footprints, you, you'll quickly notice that as minimal as that feels like, that you've actually had an impact on the environment. Welcome back to the Map and the Territory podcast. Environment has a pretty profound effect on us human beings. We know experientially that when we're in the right kind of environment, that our creativity, our capacity to think, our capacity to collaborate is greatly enhanced and the opposite is true in the wrong kind of environment but all too often this is an underappreciated aspect of leadership development so with that in mind i was really excited to sit down with john kugel who is founder of gombush adventures and matthew wright who is a leadership development expert and founder of aurora people You'll hear more about their respective backgrounds at the top of the episode in, in their own words. Where we explored the power of natural environments, particularly the bush, for accelerating leadership development, being a catalyst uh, for the practice of conscious leadership. And we do our best to unpack some of the principles and lessons and takeaways behind that. So even if you find yourself in a, an office or at home, as so many of us do at the moment, you may be able to put some of that wisdom into practice. So without further ado, I bring you John Kugel and Matthew Wright. Chaps, thank you for joining us. We have... Um why don't you why don't you both introduce yourselves and and like standard opening barbecue um question so somebody's you know what do you what do you do for a living um what's your name where are you from and how would you answer that question and maybe john will go for go go with you first yeah i actually usually don't open with that question of what do you do for a living i find it such a strange opener it is. And that's a tricky I, one to answer. That's why I ask it first. <laughs> it one, yeah. um, straight into the deep end, John Kugel here. For a living, I started a company about six years ago now, Gone Bush Adventures. We do leadership development and training programs with organizations primarily and leadership teams, young leaders of all lives. And I suppose the the big factor in all of our work is that the majority of it is based in nature and um, we're existing to help develop people, develop their leadership capability, develop the culture that they exist within, but as well as developing and deepening their connection to the natural world in the process and Beautiful. trying to elevate an appreciation of nature as a powerful catalyst for self-development um, across the board love it how do people usually respond to that between bikes at bites of their their snag at the bar at the barbecue most people think it sounds pretty cool yeah um, sounds cool a lot of people as well will hear about gone bush adventures and you know despite how 
much I might try and talk about the actual development opportunity that nature provides, um, a lot of people will respond back instantly and say, oh, like team building. Mm. And I say, yeah, like, <laughs> like team building. I mean, it is, it is like that. Yeah. Um, but I suppose we're trying to frame this in a, in a learning journey that is potentially more personal than, say, just a team building or the uniting of people together. Mm. Uh, we're also trying to help people on their own journey go to, to new places and go further. Um, so team building, yes, um, but perhaps a more mature and personalized form of team building than mm. might be what springs to mind when the word is thrown out there. I like that because team building for me throws up mental pictures of zip lines and uh, trust catches, trust falls, uh, trust falls yeah, um, and things of that nature. So, yeah, brilliant. Thanks, John. Matt, what about you? Uh, Matt Wright. I'm, my business is called Aurora People and I started that in 2007. Um, I've been lucky to be, ha- be working in my passion since... 2000 sorry 1992 in the field of education which I might say some more about later on Mm. Um, and my business's tagline is creating spaces where people transform Mm. so I'm interested in in people's transformation and I recognize that we are just custodians of that our job is to create the experiences and the frameworks that people can learn from and to really discover what's inside them. Beautiful. Yeah. Nice. And just to sort of frame up this conversation and why we're having it, um, I uh, I went on so John and Gombosh Adventures, you run the uh, the sort of fabulous networking in nature. Um, series in Sydney and I I came to one what was it six months eight months ago I I lost track of time because COVID-19 has kind of made this year feel um, a a bit longer than I think it actually is and um, I I just met a community of people at the networking in nature um, kind of unlike any other um, Mm. and certainly unlike any other um, event with networking in the title which I usually am loath to go to and seem a bit cringy. Um, I went mm. along to my first one because uh, Chip McFarlane, who I um, who I used to do some work with at IECL, was uh, was the guest facilitator, and um, yeah, fell in love with it. Fell in love with the with the with the community and with the people. And uh, you know, we found out we had some you know pretty aligned uh, ways mm. of ways of looking at the world and ways of being and values. And I just wanted to have you on the on the podcast, and you suggested. Matt as a as a great a great kind of uh, you know addition to to the conversation and here we are to sort of I don't know see where the conversation goes around leadership humans nature um, all the rest of it so just for the uh, for the audience and context as to how we got there mm. I might just add to that that um, when I first heard about networking in nature my first thought was what a ridiculous idea <laughs> I'm going so it was a yes moment. <laughs> And I've been coming religiously for 18 months or so. So, yeah, same thing in terms of a community of like-minded people. Yeah, and run by an extraordinary man. John. Mm. I, I did have kind of that. I, <laughs> I did think about that. What do you what do you put it down to? The community uh, and and 
the the type of people that are attracted and that stick around and keep coming back what's the uh what's the draw what's the and what's the uh you know what's the staying power for those people i've often thought about this um i think one of the key factors that i've put it down to is time and space i think yes the idea of networking like the idea of team building has instant sort of connotations um and expectations around particularly with networking that it's going to be quite short and sharp and timely mm. and focused around that barbecue question of what do you do yeah can i use you or not and if i can't <laughs> can you please let me speak to someone else in yeah. this event yeah yeah i believe simplifying connection back to an environment where we're all leveled in nature as being part of it uh, but also removing some of the constraints of a small space and very tight time frames to actually connect with people and opening that up to mm. something a bit more exploratory like a walk around a garden where you're sharing an experience that opens you up in a different way um, i think that puts people in a different mindset once they're involved in the experience and we've been really conscious about the spirit that we've tried to impart onto this group but i feel as though that spirit becomes self-sustaining um, mm. through the nature of the experience itself mm. um, and I feel like it is at a point where um, it's growing through people bringing friends and bringing other colleagues um, but they're coming with with a particular spirit now and I think the experience just reinforces that and makes it that quite unique and genuine human to human connection where so often the question of what do you do is asked so much further down the line once you've already yeah. realized that you you like this person and yeah you want yeah. to establish a relationship too um, true yeah mm. i feel really guilty about my opening question now <laughs> i asked ask the most non-gone bush question to start, <laughs> start the conversation it is tr it is true how transactional that question is mm. and I, lo I love the framing it's like can i can i use you or not are you going to yeah. be you know uh, are you going to be useful are you going to buy something for me or, or or not and then if not then goodbye and i mm. think that is that is my experience of most networking um, events mm. Mm. can i add to that and say that um while I've been coming to it, I've never really been motivated by the networking. Mm. So it's the community of people and the experience of, you know, the the Kugel family and the food and the coffee, the context here in the Botanical Gardens and the people you meet, you know, mm. it's just absolutely fascinating. So I think that that like-mindedness and the fact that people who come along uh, know that they belong if they do, mm. you know what I mean? Mm. So they keep coming back. And so the networking is a nice byproduct if that happens. Um, but I think it wouldn't have a life if there wasn't something else uh, there to it. Yeah. And it seems to evolve for me, at least in my experience with the people I've I've come to have friendships with and, and connection mm. with over time as well. Uh, often it's not until the sort of third session that we've thought to ask each other, mm. what what do you do, and and kind of mm. you know what what does what does work look like um, for you? And by that point, there's already a there's already a trust, there's already a uh, you know a, a mutual a mutual affinity and a mutual respect there that I think is just lost in yeah, in, in yeah. kind of the, the the transactional world of, of networking, I mm, suppose. Mm. 
Well, one of my questions is, you know, if you didn't have to worry about money or family, what would you do? Mm. Um, and a woman I was walking around with this morning uh, replied, I'd work with wood, you know, mm. I'd, I'd work with timber. And that's one of my things. Mm. So we had this immediate connection. Mm. I can't even remember if she told me what she did because <laughs> we just talked about working with timber. Yep. Yeah. 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 The only other thing that popped into my head was it's a kind of event, a networking event where it's impossible to find yourself stuck in a corner alone with no one to speak to mm. which mm. as somebody mm. who's like on that borderline of being an introvert and an extrovert mm. I so often am that guy in the corner of a networking event feeling awkward mm. wondering how I'm gonna break into some conversations without forcing it too much whereas networking in nature I feel the setting but also now the community that has formed is incredibly warm and embracing mm -hmm. of outsiders and and ready to embrace all kinds of perspectives and make connections on deeper levels so someone will arrive at networking in nature for the first time and instead of having to stand in a corner awkwardly next to the coffees machines and some muffins they are most likely probably given a hug or mm. embraced or, mm -hmm. or you know instantly introduced to people instantly shown some some good food and hospitality and just um, extended that warmth and sort of yeah just let known that this is a space they're welcome to be engaged with mm. even, even, uh, the, the food and the hospitality just as you mentioned that 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 is a welcome unlike any other and again I, I don't want to compare it to other networking events but the the you know the, the the kind of like glad wrapped sandwiches and the the kind of sad bowl of nuts you might get at some networking events or or even the ones that are catered quite well but it's a corporate caterer coming in mm. is a world apart from you know mama kugel making a fantastic spread and it's all made with love and care and thought and attention and you know as well as being delicious it it it, it brings that um you open the session today asking what's uh how would you know what's home for you how would you describe home and that was almost bringing a piece of home to the start of the networking so again that feeling welcome that feeling included you know somebody's somebody's laid out a um, mm. you know the kind of high tea you'd have if you were having honored guests <laughs> around at your house and that's a you know tradition as old as time you know the breaking bread and the welcoming somebody into your home and, and mm. giving them that that you know that 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 spot of hey you're you're wanted here you're valued and um and you're you're kind of part of the family so mm. love it I might say something else to that in, in that in addition to that welcoming uh, fair the way John welcomes the group mm. despite his borderline introverted nature the way in which he brings the group together and introduces the speaker and, and welcomes people and asks that first question does set the tone and that's what I mean by creating spaces mm. you know he creates a space for all of us absolutely to be both safe and inspired mm. Mm. And, and on the subject of spaces um well for, for those people listening and not uh you know not watching the uh, the video which we're recording now was a bit of a Hi bit of a bit of an experiment and <laughs> the uh we, we're in uh we're in the um uh, botanic gardens in in sydney um on a on a absolutely glorious day another brutal sydney winter um <laughs> sydney winter day it's absolutely stunning it could be worse it really really could um i can't think of a much better way a much different way i'd prefer to be spending my afternoon um 
but obviously with the networking in nature and with Gombush in general you seem to lean into the the environment as a and you said at the the top of the episode as a catalyst for um for change for transformation for you know for as a container um for the for whatever to unfold between the the, the humans that are there um i was just wondering if you could speak more to that what's the uh, or how did that come about for you um and you know why do you persi- persist what kind of feedback do you get i just realized i shotgunned four questions at you there but um <laughs> feel free to pick whichever <laughs> one uh, which, struggle which, with one question at the best of times <laughs> whichever on ramp there you feel like taking well i'll, I'll try the question around why i believe it's such a powerful catalyst um for the kind of development and, and nurturing that individuals experience in nature and through a gone bush program. I really believe that the, the bush and the natural environment is, is a not separate from us, that we are actually part of it, even though in modern life, as blessed as we are to have it all around us, the reality is we've still pushed it to the side for the most part. Um, and I would say that for so many reasons, and there's so many scientific reasons now around physiological and holistic benefits, mm. health-wise, of actually being immersed in nature for good periods of time consistently, I believe it's just an environment that is such a natural nurturer of, of, of human beings. A nurturer in terms of um, enabling you to first be grounded and be more present in experiencing the life that you are experiencing sent through your senses but also through a spirit through something deeper mm. um, I believe that being out in a natural environment is an incredible place to be refocused and reflective um, around your journey but also around the impact and the, the, the marks that you're leaving on this planet I think a nice analogy in nature is that in a pristine natural environment, even once you've left your footprints, you, you'll quickly notice that as minimal as that feels like, that you've actually had an impact on the environment. And I think it's a place where you can extrapolate that out and actually reflect on what is, what is my impact. And knowing that we live in a world with so many resources at our fingertips, where our impact is magnified and amplified by all these resources. So I feel like it... Um, is such a, a critical thing for us to be focusing on. What is our impact and sort of the, the conversation around conscious leadership? Mm. I believe it's a journey um, that is ongoing and not not any one destination. This this concept of conscious leadership, and I think I've in my own life realised that nature is a place that I can continually go back to, and it's always waiting to embrace you mm. and to nurture you on that journey of of uh smoothing out the rough edges mm. that we all have as as human beings and trying to to be better with the life that we've been gifted um yeah and and of course all the other benefits of actually how great it makes you feel and what a great state of mind it puts you in and and physically what good health enables you to then do with that life absolutely i mm. I, I the japanese i i, I don't know the Japanese pronunciation of it, but they have a you know the forest bathing as a mm. as a as a concept, and uh, you know the the rejuvenating effect of being in an environment like this um, 
is is palpable. It, mm. it, it really is, and and I think part of the the journey of conscious leadership is the state you're in when you're doing your 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 thinking, your connecting, your um, whatever whatever the, the kind of your life's work is. But mm. being in a, a state of openness questioning um you know looking on like slightly longer time horizons than uh than than the immediate um it can only be facilitated by that kind of state enhancing uh, quality of 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 being in a natural environment so yeah mm. i love that mm. just it, it feels like a no-brainer as i hear you talk about it it really does yeah i might say something to it in terms of uh our propensity in in western culture to be quite very rational and left-brained and there's nothing wrong with that provided you have some balance uh, in terms of the way in which the right brain will synthesize and it kind of knows we talk about a gut feeling Mm. that comes more from the the right brain and i think uh, when you get into a, a natural environment somehow your right brain is activated and it recognises the value of the left brain and the the logical thinking and analysis, but it's able to contextualise that and say that's not everything. And so we're we're reminded of what's important or how we have access to what's important. Um, The other thing I want to say about the bush is that we will probably talk a lot about the theory or why we think it works. Mm. But a really key point is that we just know. We, we know mm. it does. Mm-hmm. We see the results. We see what happens to people and ourselves. And we don't have to understand the mechanism while it's interesting. To come back to that concept of forest bathing, um, I've taken a lot of people to do vision quests or solos for two, three days and done them myself. And one thing I notice is that the longer you're in it, the more you move into it and it moves into you. So coming Mm. back to what John was saying, you have a feeling that initially you're separate from it, but after a day or two, you feel a part of it and it comes to you. So the animals and the leaves and everything starts to ignore you and just get on with it and that's when you feel like you're just a part of it and that's a really powerful mm. feeling the I'm, I'm i'm trying not to be my usual sort of theory heavy model heavy <laughs> self today because the, the the conversation feels like it doesn't it doesn't necessarily call for it and i agree that in the world of you know especially working with with businesses and corporates in the world of having to attach KPIs to things mm. and and show measured measured output and measured impact um just just knowing something is effective without necessarily having to know why or to or to what extent you know mm. it's you mm. know showing a a 33% increase in in output after a uh, after a, a a bush related leadership development course versus a non bush leadership development course um and i know you know certain learning and development or HR departments would would kind of lean into <laughs> would lean into that so I'm, I'm wondering you know in terms of the skeptics potentially the um, I'm assuming most skeptics once they get a taste of it the, the the environment takes care of that skepticism would that be would that be fair or do you get some people who are who are sort of 
resistant to the uh, resistant to the process to the end. I'm, I'm wondering yeah. what your experience is there. I'll, I'll let John think for a moment because one amazing example comes to mind from one of our uh, Booper programs. Is it okay to say that last year? Um, everyone on the program shifted, and everyone, by and large, were, were quite open to the experience of spending a couple of days in the bush, whether that you know in Victoria and, and Queensland. But there was. There was one young woman who was, she seemed to be determined to stay in her smartphone-driven world mm. and um, very um, focused on her bag and her phone and not letting anything encroach on her sceptical, I would say, bubble. Um, and, and it was hard. Mm. You know? uh, I remember even John was, was tested in terms of his patience. But by the end, you know, you could see that there was some shift. Just keep the mic I, a bit close to you. <laughs> you, it's you all, it's I all right. was getting excited. No, no, it's yeah. all right. The, 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 shift. the gesticulation and the shift <laughs> is, is amazing, but the, uh, yeah, it, does, yeah. it does make for... So <laughs> my point would be that even the most sceptical and cynical eventually will come around and, and transform a bit, you know? Mm. Yeah, no, I reckon the bush will get you at the end of the day, <laughs> no matter how hard you try. And so to that point, I would say for those who arrive at one of our programs, say sceptical or, or reserved or standoffish to the process, um, yeah, I can't think of any time where they haven't come around by the end of our time that we've, we've got out there. Um, mm. And I think a lot of that is just shaking off an initial construct like mm. sort of what Matt's referring to um, and and allowing enough space to actually immerse into that experience and that environment um, because there is a transition period that you've got a, mm. a bridge that you've got to cross um, of simply getting there but then truly arriving there in the bush um, mm. I think once people go through that process um, I mean they're, they're stuck there they're, they're on a work program <laughs> and um and we're all adults. We just got to do the best with the situations that we're in. Sure. Um, but the other point of how would we manage with skeptics and um, potentially organisations? Because we obviously don't sell in at the participant level. Sure. We sell in at the organisational level, and that's a little more of an unfortunate circumstance in terms of if there is skepticism met at the organisational level. Mm we haven't been able to crack a way through that. So, mm. unfortunately, the organisation goes without. Um, if if the people that we are trying to convince who are running these sorts of programs, if they don't have a, a relationship with nature, if we're coming in talking a language that just does not make sense in their reality, in their world, mm. um, well, chances are it's just not going to happen. And so, to be honest... Um, while we sometimes get skeptics show up as participants and they're converted and have a great time and great transformation, um, we don't get that opportunity to convert and transform skeptics at an organizational level. And sure. the downside of that is the organization does miss out at this point. Um, mm. And if they are focused on metrics on numbers, we're working on that as always, as you would expect, because you do have to speak the language and you do have to make, make the case. Mm. Um, but sometimes it is beyond metrics and sometimes the journeys are more 
personal um, than can be quantified. It. Um. We've got a we've got a little friend from uh, from nature coming to visit. See what I mean? Yeah. Got a little little bird coming and. Uh, Magpie. I was going to say he's not so little though, is he? No, and he he owns this space. He mm. does own this space. He's, he's like, what are you what are you doing filming in my house? Yeah, yeah. Oh, we'll give him some royalties from the podcast. Well, it is the Royal Botanical <laughs> Gardens. That's true. Um, I might say something about the resistance too. Yeah, and great. And to remember, for us to remember, it's really that most of resistance comes from fear. Mm. So people who are coming along with a, a, a superficial um, mean of, of sarcasm or scepticism is often masking a fear. And mm. as facilitators, our job is to help those f- people feel safe mm. and to keep them within, you know, what we call two boundary, two, two areas of comfort and panic. We want to keep them between that. Mm. If they're in comfort, we want to challenge them and stimulate them into an area of arousal. And if they're panicking, we want to get them down out of that into that area where they are challenged but not threatened. Mm. 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 Yeah, the the old sort of presupposition that growth doesn't happen inside your comfort zone is, uh, my experience, true as well. Mm. But it also doesn't happen when somebody is so far removed from their comfort zone that they're in fight, flight, freeze um, mode and and completely Mm. shut off from any learning Mm. experience. The other thing I'd add to that as well, because there's obviously going to be some natural fears and anxieties for people who potentially have never gone on a bushwalk and we mm. we rigorously um, do sort of background checks on all participants before these sort of programs as part of our safety processes and risk sort of protocols that we go through. And it is really surprising. You, you do very often get a good proportion of people who indicate that they have zero bushwalking experience. Mm. They have... People will show up on, on a couple of day bushwalking program with us and it will be their first bushwalk of their life. Um, this is probably for younger people and then for older people, very, very often, the last time they've gone to the bush and they highly valued it and still talk about it, but it was back in school. And mm. fast forward, they're now middle aged with kids and life has sped up. And um, while they remember the value of those times... Um, it's just fallen through the cracks mm. in terms of going back and putting themselves in those environments. Um, but another point I was going to make is that our programs, um, and this feeds into Matt's point about the panic zone, and the comfort zone, they're not skewed to put anyone in a panic zone. No. Um, they are bushwalking based, but beyond that, they are designed for each group to be at a physical level that is going to ensure everyone can enjoy participating. And it's certainly not a Bear Grylls style boot camp. No. Where we drag people through mud and, you know, make a joke about being outside a comfort zone or or hammer that point. Um, I think the environment in itself, even when when explored gently, um, will be outside of some people's comfort zones. Mm. But um, beyond creating that sort of... um, mentally and socially safe space, um, we also put a huge focus on being in physically safe spaces mm. for the groups as well so mm. that we aren't triggering any of that panic. So you guarantee no snakes? 
but we do not guarantee no <laughs> snakes and we celebrate the snakes that we see. Brilliant. Yeah, um, I love it. The, yeah. One of the things, well, I, I, read a, I read a book uh, not long ago, which was a, a, a deconstruction of the, the habits of, of successful people from across the ages and successful in, in many, many different fields. There were, there were artists, there were politicians, there were sports people, um, there were poets, there were um, you know, musicians. And um, there were a few sort of one of the interesting one of the interesting sort of commonalities was they seemed to skew on either teetotal or completely you know indulgent on drugs and alcohol and, and altered states. But um, one of the uh, one of the one of the things that seems pertinent here was that how common a walking practice was, um, and that just that physical movement that that slow movement of of walking seemed to be for. Um, the creative process for these people and i'm wondering how much of that is is kind of at play here in terms of the physical space and, and i'm sure the, the answer is, is kind of both and but also is is just the uh, cessation of input um when they're on these when they're on one of your programs you know we live in a hyper connected world and that's that's kind of no secret and i'm as guilty as anybody you know i, I rarely kind of walk around the city without um without some headphones in and consuming an audio book or a podcast or, or, or something of that nature. And I need to do it more often. And again, it's the, the why didn't you go back, you know, to your, to your point earlier, the, the fond memories of going to the bush as a kid and then not returning until middle age, the times where I do put a uh, consumption curfew on my, on myself. And I was like, right, I'm not going to watch TV, audio books, podcasts, anything, even remotely input for a week. My creativity goes through the roof. So I'm wondering, yeah, the just how much the the, the the cessation of input you 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 kind of put the the transformation down to, or or, or am I kind of being a bit too surface level there? I don't think so. Um, one before John speaks, I just wanted to say something about our most valuable resource is not time, but our attention. Mm, mm. And many of us are asleep at the wheel of our lives because of the distraction caused by all of that stuff and busyness mm. so i think that that what working in the bush in the natural environment does enforce is that our attention is focused in the present and on most of our programs we would either have them outside of um, service coverage or discourage the use of distracting devices mm. so again that allows us to be present and allows the world to come and meet us and us be able to to come and experience that and we'll say some more about reflection and mm. refraction mm. in a moment beautiful yeah and i'd also add to that that it's not the removal of input or stimulus as well in the bush environment while it is the removal of the kind of stimulus we've been filling our lives with if we are mm. caught up in that cycle. But actually, I would argue that the level of stimulus in the bush is potentially far greater mm. than we experience in our daily lives. And mm. we become more and more attuned to that as we spend more time and deepen our connection in the bush. Um, I'd say potentially a part of it is through that new type of stimulus, um, you are opening yourself up to all kinds of novelty that um, invoke different ideas, ways of thinking, ways of feeling and being. Mm. Um, so often we, we joke when we're bushwalking, 
and we just look at each other and say, what will they think of next when we, <laughs> when we see, you know, the one millionth red gum tree that we've seen on the bushwalk, but, you know, just the, the uniqueness of each and every one of them and, and the endless creativity that you witness in nature. Mm. It is not a static environment. And I think it's um, also a bit of a misconception that the Australian bush is just a sea of green mm. and bush is bush. Because mm, yeah. anyone who's spent some time in the bush quickly realizes that once you're immersed in that sea of green, it is actually a rainbow full of colors mm. and full of complexity beyond your imagination. Um, mm. And But it does take a, a, a putting yourself in that environment. And yes, seizing the other inputs that would be filling your, your life in in the everyday construct of this modern world to actually tap in and appreciate and then harness the the benefits like the creativity that come from being in that space mm. yeah. how much of that is novelty do you do you find yourself because you live in the blue mountains john do, do you matter I, 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 I no i live in waterloo okay <laughs> beautiful i'm fortunate <laughs> to have a, a family farm out at cowra oh lovely so my brother's running the farm so i have the opportunity to to go out there which is it's rural yep. it's not the bush yep Yep. And, you know, in, in, in my growing up, the bush was something that was uh, land that you couldn't use. It was, it was, it was unproductive mm. land. And so it's only subsequently, and through the scouts and, and cadets and climbing, that I've learned about the value of the bush mm. and it not being a dirty word. And again, sometimes we, when we have bushfires... We, we say we don't care about the bush being burned until it threatens human property. Mm, mm. So we have to keep it. We, we can let it burn out there. That's okay. But, but as soon as it threatens a, a man-made construction, it becomes a problem. Sure. Yeah. I live in Forest Lodge, which is, uh, despite its name... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that must be beautiful. Not, not, but not particularly foresty. Um, <laughs> But my uh, my question my question to you, John, was: Do you find yourself falling asleep to the bush? Does it does it become backgrounded in the same way that uh, I guess I'm going to play devil's advocate? And you could argue that even an urban environment and even a city environment is full of the richness of life in you know in its different capacities mm -hmm. of the of the humans around us of the the, the nature that does spring up as, of you know just the 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 energy and the aliveness and if you tune into that and pay attention to that, that can be that can be quite transformative as well. And I'm wondering, do you find yourself, just because of the familiarity, falling asleep to the bush, or do you think it has a different quality about it? I think it does have a slightly different quality about it. Uh, and I would agree that you can tune in and appreciate an endless amount of depth and layers to the everyday environment of being in an urban environment in a city environment I, I became quite addicted to spending time in India and found that very much like being in the bush just mm. in terms of the amount of stimulus and novelty all around I think the bush is different though and and maybe I'm going to come back to a point I made earlier with networking in nature around time and space mm. uh, and I'll combine it with the point that you made about actually walking. I mm. believe it's maybe a combination of, of these factors that potentially slow you down more and make you more observant um, and more attuned than potentially just observing 
in in an in an urban setting. Mm. Um, I, I guess but it's a, it is a tricky it's a tricky question to answer. I guess the natural environment is a genderless. Um, so the natural it, it, it is it is as it is as it's as it's grown and as it's as it's emerged. Whereas an urban environment is full of agendas for your attention. Uh, to go back to your point, Matt, you know mm. uh, our, our most valuable resource is, is not time but attention. I'd, I'd I'd agree with that. And in an urban environment, there's so much competing, actively competing for your attention, from the device in your pocket to the mm. to the billboard to just the the people on the street yeah. and how we present ourselves. There's, you know. Uh, we, you know, dress differently in the bush to the we do in the city, you mm. know, and and there's a there's a degree of kind of I guess more peacocking in the city, mm. Um, mm. you know, you mm. you there's a there's an expectation we place on we're we're interesting little creatures, aren't we? <laughs> aren't we? At mm. the end of the day, it's uh, it's it's remarkable. Well, a lot of, a lot <laughs> of the built environment is designed to attract our attention, mm. uh, and whether that's buildings or whether it's billboards. But also, you know, clickbait, what's online, mm-hmm. the things that are there designed by clever humans yes. to attract our most precious resource. Our yeah. attention, yeah, absolutely. Sorry, Don't have much more to add to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm wondering if you could just bring to life, because um, you've talked about the programs and the processes a little bit in, in, a, in a sort of abstract sense, and I'm, I'm sure the, the listeners and the viewers would have gotten a, a kind of an idea and a feel for, for, for what, what an, a Gombush experience would look like. You know, there's the, the, there's the setting, there's the walking, there's the, there's the reflection and the, the presence and attention, but um, I'm wondering if you could sort of bring to life what a typical experience would be and, and what some of the... Um, and we spoke about the transformations and and and, and the, the you know the environment being a catalyst for that. What kind of transformations do you see um, in the, in those environments, and what what could somebody expect? All right, I'll I'll start with this one. And for these sorts of questions, this is another reason why I've actually I invited Matt in today because mm. Matt has been working with us on some of these programs quite intimately, but specifically around leadership, mm. which is obviously one of the things that we're exploring this conversation through typical experience um, I mentioned we do development programs and events but at the core of it are experiences in nature that form those events or form part of those development programs Mm. those experiences in nature if we want to visualize what a typical experience with gone bush would look like imagine being guided on a on a learning journey professional development journey with facilitators such as the likes of Matthew Wright sitting next to me here who have all the frame of reference of providing executive coaching to leaders across all walks of life for all sorts of years using all kinds of tools and frames of references to help people make these transformations whether it's in their capability or just their being in some way. Um, imagine being supported with that kind of rigor in how the experience has been designed but then being supported really closely with a the environment so the learnings are matched to the environments we go through as I've mentioned even the walks that are selected are matched to particular uh, programs that we are running Mm. to be more conducive to them but then also pairing that up with an incredible guiding crew of ecologists and Mm. bushwalkers and environmentalists who are able to 
put another lens on the natural experience, help bring people's attention and focus even more in line with the natural world around them and provide really interesting um, overlays and metaphors to the kinds of learning and development concepts they might be moving through over the course of that guided facilitated journey that that we would provide um, so yeah in a nutshell that would be a typical gombush experience um, and duration most common for us is one to three days mm-hmm. um, and I mentioned before that it's not a kind of bare grills and bare bones experience. We are serving a corporate market and I mentioned the challenges in actually getting that across the line in a corporate setting. So the experience also has a few nice comforts around it that are designed to make sure people are in the middle between the comfort zone and and the panic zone that Matt talked about. So, you know, understand a lot of people have anxieties about the concept of camping Mm, or... mm or carrying too much weight and even you know physical limitations around that so sure. there are certain elements of the experience that are optimized to the audiences we're serving so we stay in typically quite nice boutique accommodation venues that are on the doorstep of wilderness areas mm-hmm. enabling us to have a bit of a base to come back to 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 gather around with great quality meals and those sort of shared experiences mm. um, but in the spirit of then maximizing the day and the time that we've got to actually be immersed in nature um, and immersed in that setting Um, and typical transformations or journeys that we might see people go through and we've touched on perhaps some of those um, stories that involve people arriving with particular blockages or um, issues or even preconceptions things that they're grappling with um, and just seeing the impact that that time and space and that sort of gentle guided facilitation um, has on on their being over the time that we've got with them. Um, I'd say an essential part of the Gombush experience are the values that we try and embody as a crew um, and as an organizing team mm. and the spirit that we try and infuse into those adventures so that they do become these really supportive open spaces where people can be stretched and challenged to an extent and explore potentially in a more open and vulnerable way to a level um, but then to be always reinforcing this this kind of um, warmth and safety around that journey mm. um, I might just jump on a couple of words there um, mm. gentleness warmth safety um, as a you know more traditional facilitator, I was having worked with with Gone Bush, and out there they have uh, a nature guide, young guys who are so passionate about the bush, and will 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 point out the smells and the sights that that most of us don't notice, and mm. then they have a, a indigenous guide who's who's looking at things in another way and and telling the stories of of how these things came about and again pointing out different things and then John and his his brother and then the internal facilitators leadership facilitators so mm. there's about five or six different perspectives there supporting and and showing people stuff or or bringing them to to experiences so it's absolutely extraordinary 
and the way in which they I've seen them flex to people who have terrible knees or illnesses, mm-hmm. um, challenges around fitness, to be able to actually bring another facilitator in to support the person. So the, the gentleness and the kindness that they, these guys uh, bring as a metaphor almost for the bush and it, its gentleness, mm. you know what I mean? It's kind of quite, quite special what I've seen with this, I, these guys. I, I love, I could, I, I mean, I can, uh, just my experience of, mm. of, you, of mm. you both and, and gone bush, I can, I can already, you know, I, I have that experience mm. of you and that, that gentleness and that warmth and that, um, you know, the, your, your approach to everything that, that radiates through. And, I, I love what you what you said about the multiple perspectives from the mm, different mm. types of facilitators that are there mm. and present and I can imagine that only being just being super powerful for the connection with the different personality types the different worldviews and the you know the different ways of being that that, that come on these programs mm, mm. and that's the difference between a single facilitator who we all know you can be you know uh, some some audiences and some individuals will fall in love with you and some people you will just not be their mm, cup of mm. tea um and uh yeah i i'd hard i find uh, i'd find it hard to believe that you get many people walking away not getting taking something from it or, or having an affinity yeah. for somebody in the, in the yeah. way they unpack it so yeah so i think that they everybody would find someone they have an affinity what of and I would also characterize the the stewards as these five or six people who are holding a group, mm. you know, mm. and taking responsibility for keeping those people in a safe but challenged space. So I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of crack this open a little bit, or, or ask you to to boil this down. So if I'm a, a leader in an organisation and I've been listening to this conversation, I'm I've gone along for the ride. I'm right there with you. This sounds this sounds fantastic, but you know, I, I work at KPMG and I have my team and I, I can't pry them out to the bush. What are some of the principles as a leader that you would would advise them taking away from your approach, from, from what you see works in terms of transformation, connection, etc.? If you could sum it up in a handful of, of kind of key takeaways, key principles that any leader working with with humans mm. could um, could try and embody in their in their in their ways of being, ways of working, ways of communicating. Mm. Do you want to talk about the context? Maybe I'll I'll start yeah, then you, if you, you like. Kick it off. Okay, so um, one of the, one of the things that I wanted to bring to Go and Bush was a practice of of reflection and refraction. Mm. Okay, so you know. W- my background is pretty much all in experiential learning. So starting from the principle that we really have very little to tell anybody, but we can bring them to an experience of themselves. And my theory about that, believe me, this is just my theory, that we have an aha moment when an external stimulus correlates or harmonizes with an internal knowing. Mm. And so that's going to happen in different ways for different people. So if we say we all have an experience, whether that be in the bush or doing an activity or moving some chairs, you know, and then we asked everyone, uh, ask everyone <laughs> to reflect on that experience and say, what did you learn and what did you do well in that, that moment? Mm. And then 
when I say refraction, I mean through the eyes of others. What did you see Phil or John doing that was effective? Mm. And what would they keep doing? And then, of course, we flip that and say, what would you do differently? And ask others to say to John or you, what would you do differently? And, and so by ask, getting people to experience themselves, then they can't argue with their own data mm-hmm. and, and, and they have a choice. Mm. And self-awareness gives us choice, as we've, mm. we've heard before. Mm. So I get to do that in you know, experiential learning and all sorts of different environments, but I've had the privilege of doing it with John in a particular context, and I want him to say something about the context and how that those two things can fit together in your experience. Reflection and refraction, I love it. Mm. John? Just made that one up. Yeah, I just, I'll, <laughs> awesome. I'm sold. <laughs> well, if we're talking about trying to f- impart what are some of the aspects that make that experience so powerful for people and how maybe can somebody replicate it who can't necessarily mm. get their team out and do these sorts of things. Well, I would say it would help to try and do something with your team if you are trying to build that kind of um, sense of community and shared kind of focus and just camaraderie and, mm. and alignment is, is I believe shared experiences go a long way in actually forming that. Mm. Um, and they don't have to be heroic or, or big experiences either. And they can be quite simple things. I think an interesting part or an interesting phenomenon we've seen through the last few months of remote working and flexible working as a result of coronavirus rippling through is still the level of connection, trust and vulnerability that can be formed even digitally Mm. when you allow the space for that to occur. Mm. Um, You know, a simple Zoom meeting um, can be so much more because it provides an insight into somebody's life and the person they are um, at a deeper level. You you see, you meet people's pets, you see their partners, Mm. you get a glimpse into their house. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's it's this um, leveling of hierarchy and the playing field and bringing things back to human to human connection that is a is a big part of the experience that that we can probably all be more mindful about how we mm. facilitate in our everyday lives when we're not in the bush um, that would be one aspect um, and I think we've talked about safety and openness a bit and inclusion but I think that's that is also another another key to it in leveling the field as human to human that also comes with a an implied acceptance of of who we all are an acceptance accept- of our of our differences acceptance of the uh the, the 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 little cleaning wagon that's just chosen to drive by at this time mm. <laughs> They've got a very diligent ground staff here at the Royal Botanic they Gardens. Really do. Well, I mean, it shows. The place is stunning. It is stunning. <laughs> it's a treasure of Sydney. Um, did Sorry, any I, 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 yeah, I just wanted to say something there mm. about uh, vulnerability mm. and the fact that uh, you know, on on in a training room, you know, talking about what we might think as being opposite to the bush. We have, a, we have a safety mechanism or if we can go off to our room 
at, in, in on a multi-day program and we can escape but mm. but if you have a program that's immersive whether that be with a group and wherever it is then we all end up being vulnerable at some point and that's mm. when we both mm. when we learn and we also learn the power of that as a leader that we don't have to be perfect we don't have to have all the answers and maybe we should be asking more questions rather than 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 giving answers so mm. i think mm. The context is what John's talking about and it allows us to be ourselves. And I, th I saw someone the other day wrote, um, I think it was Ian Lease, said, let's not go back to being professional. Mm, you know, mm. seeing the kids in the background or the dog barking allows us to see people as less than perfect but human. And it makes us feel safer. Yeah. That we don't have to be this shining light that, that nobody really is. Um, and so... All of us, you know, if we're out in the bush and we don't have a suit on and we're wearing sort of, you know, rough clothes and we fall over in the mud and we have a laugh and then we reflect on that. Mm. So coming back to the other thing is the shared common experience. You know, when we did fall over, when we did fall in the water, when we were at that tree, do you remember, you know, it's the memory, the shared memories that bind people together and somehow reinforces mm. the learning because it's more than just a thinking experience beautiful and just touching on something you said john in terms of it's not necessarily about the bush maybe that's the title of this podcast we rip off the it's uh, not about the, the bush the lance armstrong book it's not about the bush <laughs> like, but the, <laughs> um so many places so many oh my yes yeah, all right <laughs> <laughs> it was it was <laughs> it was in the so obviously over the last little while you've been doing networking in nature um virtually and we've been we've been doing those over zoom and the experience and the quality of that has been such that i, I believe anyway last time we'd, i checked in that your plan is to still continue that in in some capacity as well mm -hmm. and uh, i think it speaks to the it speaks to the quality of presence and the qual and the space you hold and the, and the fact you can do that over a zoom meeting um the, the fact you know that you're that you're keen to continue those in in that medium and and that really that really speaks to what you said i think that's mm. a powerful illustration yeah. i think if you're just prepared to show people that that you're you're a person you're mm. an imperfect individual mm. you're a human being on a journey yeah and not to pretend <laughs> as though you're not yeah and i think that that might be something as well to take out that of course, leaders have roles, um, and they have roles that they've got to play. Um, but I think you'll find more often than not, when you open yourselves up to to actually connect with those who you are leading and, and going on journeys together with at a deeper and a more human level, I believe the, the journey is going to be a more rewarding one, mm. and it's probably going to be a more successful one. And I, think, I do think... Um, enjoying the ride is a big part of it beautiful uh, and i think that's what what um another just a sheer of joy of being in nature is, is just another part great of it. part of it is that it is great to to enrich ourselves with experiences that make us feel fantastic and that lift us up energy is 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 everything i believe um and i think we've got to be conscious of the energy that we that we lead with the energy that we have as individuals over time we've got to <laughs> and we've got to be animated 
<laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I love it. I think that's a I think that's a beautiful place to start start sort of wrapping wrapping up. Um if you game gentlemen I'll I'll just throw a couple of the couple of our standard rapid fire rapid fire questions at you. Um the uh, the questions are rapid fire your answers don't don't necessarily have to be. Um What do you obsess about on evenings and weekends that um you know beyond the bush and leadership development and things of that nature um what what do you what do you occupy your time with what what are some hobbies or interests that light you up uh well paragliding lights me up oh wow um and that's kind of built on i was a rock climber for a long time and i i loved the way in which that brought you into the bush and forced you out into the bush and it had both being in the the micro while you're climbing and the macro when you got to the top of a climb and looked out and set up a belay and um, physically I'm not really able to do that anymore so I've taken up paragliding and uh, with a lot less effort uh, I get to have that perspective you know seeing the world and and flying just using Mm. the energy the energy of the natural world is exceptional I've been doing it for eight years and still feel like a beginner sure which is kind of nice because you are really forced like with leadership you're forced to be a learner all the time and Uh as soon as you think you've got it it kicks you very hard (laughs) and being kicked very hard paragliding i'd imagine is is not not no 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 you you don't make the same mistake twice i bet you don't (laughs) awesome john in my evenings uh beyond the bush well i'll start with the bush i'm a super passionate bushwalker so i'm i'm usually obsessing about the next walk that i want to do and the next adventure that i'm putting together with some of my bushwalking buddies um but also in the evenings i i really do try and switch off and that's obviously always a a work in progress as well as Mm. a small business owner and it is tough but i do try and switch off and just spend quality time with my partner christina who also works in the business Uh, we like to just stay at home, make sure we're having meals together, play yeah. music together. I love to play guitar and sing and write songs. Um, so I suppose, so yeah, outside of it, evenings are about winding down and trying to do do more of those things that are going to nourish you in other ways, like the people that you love and the, the things that you enjoy doing, like the music or planning that next adventure. Um, definitely not watching TV, though. That is something that I do not do in my free time. Yeah. So I'll just hit that one on the head. Mm. Yep. Um, and I, I feel a whole lot better for it. Mm. And Great. that's been sort of, it's a separate conversation, but that's yeah. been a, you know, a good 10-year ten, ten commitment that I believe is standing me in good stead. Excellent. Love it. Awesome. We'll go with one more question. Um, what's one thing you've changed your mind about in the last few years and, and why? I did think about this one. I have changed my mind about spirituality. Hmm. And that is big and probably not what you think it's going to be. So I used to work in a Steiner school and Steiner schools are set up on the, the philosophy, you know, Rudolf Steiner. And he was a very spiritual man. Mm-hmm. And, and I was, I still am a believer in many ways, I'd have to say. Um, and so, but, but I worked in that environment. I loved the people I worked with. I loved the, the education system. But since I left that and stopped teaching, I've sat down with a lot of very rational people 
two in particular, two very rational mm. friends. And they really made, convinced me to be uh, less spiritual and more, more rational, but I'm really still open to it. So mm. I don't think, I don't pretend to have the answers and I recognise we'll never have them all. Um, and so despite them, I'm holding out. Yeah. But I definitely have shifted, definitely have shifted was there my a, attitude to spirituality. Was there a particular argument or a particular point they made that, that convinced I you? Think that without turning them, this into a, a, yeah, a three-hour three no, hour podcast, because well, we could go down a rabbit hole. Should there. I set up a campfire? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> I no, think, I think it, it's <laughs> kind of the argument that ancient, you know, in ancient times, people could only see their immediate world mm. and it was totally reasonable to imagine that the world was flat and you would fall off the edge of it for example and then science or we go out and explore you know the world or the universe and we find out that you know not only is the world not flat but the stars aren't painted on a dome and you know they're infinite distances away so the argument is what we think is spiritual is just the unknown mm. uh, and the occult, you know, which really is another astronomical term of what's hidden. So the argument that, that many things that are of the spirit are actually explicable at some point does make sense to me. Okay. Yeah. I think we might need to do a round two and get into that in a bit in a bit more detail. That's super interesting. Like, I, I'm, n I'm not necessarily disagreeing either. Yeah, like, I just yeah, I just yeah. think that's a fascinating. Uh, mm. Yeah. Anyway, to, to be continued. Yeah. Um, John, what have you changed your mind about? Something I've changed my mind about. I'll continue on the same theme. Uh, I would say, maybe opposite to Matt, I've probably become more spiritual. Mm. If that's what you're sort of saying. Um, I had a I had a very religious upbringing, mm. um, and a lot of it which I really value to this day, um, and some of it which I really struggled with at the time, particularly growing up. Um, and I think I probably had a natural, as many people do, um, journey away from from spirituality as a as a whole as a much younger man. Mm. Um, but I believe that through primarily all the time in the bush mm. but as well through travel and just mm. experiencing more of the richness of life i have felt um a much greater sense of spirituality but also of of being connected with things that are far greater than than what i can immediately perceive and i always just have have this thought in the back of my mind because i spend a lot of time bushwalking out in in all sorts of remote places. I've spent a lot of time out in some of the bushfire affected areas. I've mm. spent a hell of a lot of time out in Wallamai National Park since the fires this year. And every time you go into these environments, you do put yourself um, at the mercy of, of fate because all it takes is one tree to drop a limb or one tree to fall, as I, I saw with my own eyes uh, at short proximity very recently. Uh, for it to be game over and I don't know there's just a part of me that feels like out of the millions of steps I'm taking I do feel as though walking alongside me uh, is something that is is there keeping me alive and that there's a there's a purpose and a point to all this so um, 
yeah, that's something. It's obviously it's an ongoing journey sure. as well, yeah, and an ongoing thought. But that's something where I think in time I'm starting to feel the that you know the the what, what's the word I'm looking for, Matt? The spirituality of life or the, yeah. the the interconnectedness of all things i don't yeah. know i mean yeah i'm tempted to respond but i know that now yeah. is not the time <laughs> i was going to say we'll leave that we'll leave that on a cliffhanger for round two um gents any final parting thoughts or words or asks of the the audience um and, and where can where can people find you on the uh, on the interwebs i'll put links to all of this in the in the show notes of course but all right, one of the last shout-outs I'll do, this just popped in my mind, was that we've all been experiencing increasingly remote and flexible work environments mm. of late. And for many of us, this is a new adventure and a new environment that we have found ourselves in. And it looks like one that is going to increasingly be a normal or a new normal, as people are coining it. I was so uh, joyed to see during corona the amount of people out enjoying walks enjoying their local piece of nature mm. reconnecting with community a parting a parting comment would be that I, I hope we can reflect back and take some of the some of the best and most enriching parts of the lockdown period and finding our own working from home routines and ensure that we are disciplined in maintaining them mm. in our in our day to day lives, um, particularly as momentum builds again mm. and the new normal be- becomes the normal. Sure. Um, let's not forget what gave us so much joy and uh, through those times. Mm. And so I would I would say I hope I hope I continue to see more people on the tracks, and I hope I continue to have more local conversations and put more have more real-world interactions. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, my answers are quite complementary to, to John's. And uh, one of my questions is just a hanging question is, what are you going to lock in from the lockdown? Mm, mm. I like um, that. And my parting thought would be, what can you invest in now to be ahead of the curve when the new world crystallises? Mm. And my answer to that is the right people. Mm. Um, but everyone has to find their own answer. So yeah. you can find me through Gone Bush Adventures mm-hmm. or aurorapeople.com.au. Great. Aurora People. Gents, thank you so much. That was that was such a fun conversation. And if you're up for it, I, I definitely suggest we do do that round two at some point as well. Um, but um, definitely. Yeah, thanks for your time. I would and love to. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Phil. Okay, and uh, to all you listeners who made it through to the end with us, um, thank you and uh, be well. And that's it for another episode. If you got value from that conversation, there are several ways you can support the show. You can tell a friend. That's the most direct and meaningful way. You can give us a rating or a comment on iTunes or Spotify. And if you're interested in engaging in a dialogue about anything you heard on the show today or anything else related to conscious leadership, coaching, facilitation, program design, 
uh, you can find me at philcross.net and all the links to relevant social media pages or my contact information you can find there. And finally, you can help by engaging with our sponsors. So this episode is brought to you by Gone Bush Adventures. And if you're on a mission to create more natural, enriching, meaningful professional development experiences and events for your leaders and teams, then Gombush Adventures are the people for you. With a team of experienced facilitators, presenters, nature guides, and learning consultants, they exist to walk alongside leaders and organizations towards a new vantage point of performance, culture, and well-being. And you know, the, the ad read aside, one of the reasons why I'm proud to have Gombush as a sponsor is uh, I feel a real alignment with them, the work they do, the approach they take to uh, professional development and leadership development, and the setting they do it in as well. They uh, host retreats in, you know, some of Australia's most most beautiful places. Uh, so if that sounds up your alley, um, go to gombushadventures.com.au, uh, and if you uh, feel moved to engage them, just mention the podcast um, because it's always nice to, to get that kind of feedback okay until next time stay well